right, welcome everybody. Uh, big thanks to uh, Gia over at Chromatic for making that for me. I think it's the first time we've gotten to use it, so it's pretty cool. It's fun. always nice from my end to not be introing with moving screens around and just trying to get everything set up. Uh, so it only took us to about episode eight to get a little more polished, but I super appreciate that. Um, awesome friends and clients up in Gainesville put out Dungeon Defenders. We're checking out. Uh, but I'm joined uh, with Justin Connors, 8 Prime Esports, Hello. as always. And we have Yesenia Cisneros uh, here, Minecraft producer. And I'm super excited to chat with you. Uh, you want to tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Sure. Uh, that's a little bit of very open-ended question, but yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so my name is Yesenia Cisneros, and I'm a producer over on Minecraft. Um, I have been in the industry for... I want to say 11 years now started off as uh, a tester working on Batman Arkham City and worked my way up into production and worked at other fr large franchises as Pokemon um, in case you may or may not have heard of them. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I was born in Queens, New York. Um, I've been here in Seattle now for about the same amount of time I've been in the industry. So I'm kind of Curious when I'm going to consider myself a Seattleite. Still questionable because I still consider myself a New Yorker, but I digress. Um, and yeah, my family is from Ecuador, and so I speak Spanish and English. So bienvenidos a todos. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, no, and I mean that's something I definitely love to touch on with you a little bit. Is you know like what brought you to want to join the industry and such, you know, and especially as someone who was living in New York. I can kind of relate to that a little bit living in Florida when most of the industry is seen as a West Coast kind of thing, you know, whether it's uh, San Francisco or Seattle or even Vancouver or something, you know, right. what made you decide to, uh, you know, kind of strike out and try to join the video game industry? Oh, wow. That's a, that's a really good question. So when, let me back up. So I've always been a huge gamer since I was, five years old and a lot of it is because my brother always had consoles in our home and so I started off with the NES and so we played Mario Brothers, uh, Duck Hunt where I'm sure everyone can relate to where you put the the gun right in front right on the TV to get that duck because um, you don't want the dog laughing at you um, and then you know track and field good thing our neighbors downstairs were friends with us because if not they that's a lot of noise um, so yeah, I've always been into gaming. And for me, it wasn't until 2004 when I wanted to make the switch. So at that time, since I was in the fifth grade, I always knew that I wanted to be a doctor, uh, specifically an anesthesiologist. Like that was my career path. I chose it. This is what I'm doing. Um, and then in 2004, a special game came around and Halo. it was Halo 2. And that changed my life for me because for me, at least, this was the first time that I ever experienced a multiplayer game where I was able to play with people around the globe and unfortunately, or fortunately, spent a lot of sleepless nights on Zanzibar where um, my <laughs> grades definitely did suffer a little bit. Um, but because of this, I got more curious about that whole gaming culture itself and I wanted to learn more about it and at that time they also had MLG and so I 
decided to attend my first MLG in 2007. Um, I went, it was in North Carolina and I went with one of my friends who I met through the industry and just the community um, who I'm still friends with to this day. Uh, her name's Amanda and she, we went to North Carolina. We, I met more people in MLG and I competed in MLG um, and it was just a lot of fun. So I got to meet more of the kind of the esports scene now essentially. And then I created my own female MLG team that I awesome. sent off to competitions. Mm -hmm. And I just essentially was like, okay, I want to make this work. I don't know how, but I want to just like get to know about everything. And so I started doing a lot of pro bono work where with uh, gaming websites where I wrote articles. Um, I also did communications and marketing initiatives. So it was just a lot of networking because at I made a decision that I want to make this a career because other people are doing it. And so I dropped out of Penn State University and packed, quit my job, packed up my things and moved across the country to Seattle, Washington in 2007. And I continued to network and went to my first PAX in 2009. And that is when I met one of my current friends uh, through uh, someone from the gamer chicks community because I was very involved with the female gaming communities as well and they just happened to have a job on the Xbox live enforcement team I applied and a month later I got in so so yeah it was ever since that that was my first game industry job was as an Xbox live enforcer and so or people may know me as the band hammer so that was pretty fun and I've just stuck with it ever since that's awesome so you notice right away, though, the importance, again, in this industry of networking and how networking really is kind of the cornerstone of how you can kind of progress uh, in this yes. industry. Yes, absolutely. And I guess it helps a little bit with me because I'm so extroverted <laughs> that um, I just talk to everyone and I'm like, hi, hi, would you like to be my friend? <laughs> uh, so, but no, I really, and I, I was really determined to make it work. And, you know, growing up, nothing was given to me for free. I had to take a lot of it. And so I kind of had that same mentality of and determination. If I really wanted to do this, I needed to figure out how to get in with those networking groups and really figure out how mm -hmm. to get my foot in the door. No, I think I had a, a very similar kind of moment with Halo 2, to be perfectly honest, because that was probably the first time that like, I started realizing there's communities out there, you know, to engage with around video games beyond just you know, playing a game and going to school and talking to a couple friends, you know, and that's the game that, I mean, I still have friends on Xbox Live from that one, you know, and that's just crazy to me because again, uh, my account, I was probably, you know, 14, 15, I don't know, you know, like it was high school, you know, and it's just such a cool thing to kind of have those lasting relationships form from a game like that. Yeah, Xbox Absolutely. Live. That's Xbox Live. I don't think it's enough credit in the look back of like creating a lot of gaming culture. Like obviously, there's online gaming, PC game, but like Xbox Live when that started kicking off, that really like skyrocketed gaming communities. I think. So. Yeah, one of my best friends is still like I met her through Gamer Chicks and Halo Two, and then we met randomly at World Cyber Games when that was still a thing, and we've been best friends now for about ten years. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I know for me, like, uh, when I was growing up, I had no idea what I wanted to do. So, like, hearing you say, like, you were pretty set on being a doctor, and suddenly this thing was, like, that moment that changed it is pretty cool to hear, actually. Because, I mean, I think I changed every other year. The one my mom always reminds me is I wanted to be a crash test dummy. 
uh, back when I was about four or five years old. And I keep trying to tell her, I'm like, I was four. I really didn't know what that meant. You know, I just happened to have a toy and I had a car and I thought it was cool. And I'm like, that seems like it would be fun. Um, but yeah, no, like when it comes to finding those kind of jobs, like you said, networking was huge. Um, but what, what was like, uh, man, I'm, I'm rambling on my own question, but, um, I know when I think I met you actually, it was probably around the signal studios days. Yeah. Um, what were you working on back then? Oh man. So that was my first, so working at signal studios, that was like my first dev experience. Um, and at that time I was working, it's interesting because it, it, it's, it's an open-ended question because it's mm -hmm. an indie studio. I'm like, I worked on all the things because that's just how it is when you're at an indie studio. Yeah. Um, but at the time I was working on Toy Soldiers, Cold War on Steam at the, I remember that was coming mm -hmm. up. And then I was working on Ascend Hand of Coal, which was an Xbox Live Arcade game. And then I was also working on uh, some mobile games such as The Sleeping Prince and mm -hmm. some casino games um, that actually were at, that the slot machine at Las Vegas. So that was pretty cool. Um, and then I was also working on toy soldiers, uh, the toy chest with, with mm -hmm. Ubisoft. Mm -hmm. So, so I worked wow. on all those titles and during my time at signal. <laughs> okay. So like you said, you were doing a lot of different tasks. Um, that's one of the things I'd love to hear more about is like when you're at an indie studio, this is something I've always been told you got to learn how to wear a lot of different hats um, and kind of just figure out how to handle getting things across the line, you know, because yeah. you don't necessarily have the same level of infrastructure that you have at a EA or a Microsoft, you know? Um, so, yeah. So um, going to signal was, was interesting because I started there. So I was finishing up my contract with uh, on Batman Arkham city as a tester and as I, I was, I tested like Bar Arkham City, Mortal Kombat and Fear 3, which is pretty cool. Um, but I, <laughs> I wanted to like go into production because that is when I learned about the word producer. And so I was like, just trying to figure it out. Um, and so I joined Signal Studios as an office assistant. Mm -hmm. And during my time there, I just noticed that there were a lot of things missing where they didn't really have a production team um, or like a full staff community team or anything like that. It was just people wearing different hats. And so mm -hmm. I wanted, I stepped in as an office assistant and kind of an admin helping out the team. And then I noticed that, oh, hey, we need some help on the community side. Like where, why don't we have a community manager or anything like that? And so I started taking on the responsibility of making sure we had proper forums and and moderation tools and then also making sure that hey we're we have content for social media because we need to keep engaged with the community because that's super important and so i started doing that and then i became in charge of revamping our whole website and that's something i've never done before but i did it anyways um because i we were working that's when i learned how to work with a third-party developer because mm -hmm. they were building the website for us but i was managing the whole project end to end and that kind of gave me more experience of like, okay, now I want to go work on an actual game. Can I be, can I do production work? And at the time they, they're like, yeah, sure. You can do that. We don't really have a process here because no, they didn't use any tools. 
Um, so that was actually very interesting to do because first off, I don't have any production experience. They don't have a process set in place. I'm the first producer, um, but I'm gonna figure it out. And so it was a lot of trial and error. And I had to ask a lot of questions with the team and figure out what works best with them or what doesn't because in my experience, um, usually devs don't want to follow process because it's very micromanagey or just overall annoying um, mm -hmm. because it's just more paperwork. And so I had to work through a lot of different tools with them to kind of see. So we, I, I remember going through Trello, going to Handsoft, like uh, trying to put in all those a work back schedule together. And, um, and then finally we went to, to Jira and I was so happy, but it took a few iterations to find out yeah. what was best with the team. And because they're not, they weren't used to having a producer, it was, I had to kind of gain their trust with them to, you know, to say, Hey, I, I'm on your team. I'm trying to help you out. We're all in this together. So let like, let's meet in the middle. And so, and so that's why I had to run through a bunch of iterations. But even as that, I, even as I was doing production work, I still was doing community management social media work. I also did a little bit of QA as well whenever I had some extra time uh, just because I had that prior experience. Um, and I still did, I was still like the business admin around the office, making sure the, like every, we all had snacks and drinks to eat mm -hmm. and making sure that our events were planned properly. And so, yeah, it was, it was a lot of different things. And and at the time I was also going to school full time. I like, I look back at this. I don't know how I did all of this. Like, cause I was working a lot of hours and going to school full time. I have no idea how I did it. <laughs> you remind me a lot of someone in my, uh, my co-working space who's doing a very similar role. Yeah. And uh, I think she just finished uh, her grad degree and it's just like, man, I'm like, I look at that and I'm like, you're probably harder worker than anybody I know. And I mean, I, <laughs> I'm like, I work pretty hard, but I like can't even compare to that. You know, it's it's definitely difficult, especially when you're coming in, having to build processes from the start and kind of, you know, get people to believe in those processes and build that kind of trust um, so yeah. for that. Would you say that uh, I'm hearing a thing here and I talked to a lot of young people about this. Would you say, would you say like communication organizations, a thing that you're very good at, like, you know, that's a strong skill of yours? Oh, absolutely. I, yeah. I like to think of myself as playing a support role yeah. in Overwatch. <laughs> I like boost everyone else's performance. <laughs> well, I, I say that because there's a thing that a lot of young people always talk about is like, how do I get job A? How do I get job B? And to hear your story about how you're bouncing around from job to job, it's not about finding that job. It's about finding the things that you're really good at and figuring out how you can use those in these jobs and learning how to pivot and go, okay, well, I know how to do this and this, so I'm going to figure out that. And it's cool to hear uh, that that mindset always works of just like, I know what I'm good at. That sounds like I can pretty much use this there. So I'm going to move that. I like that. I like to hear that. Yeah. When I was a, a QA tester for me, it was one of those things where it's like, oh my gosh, I love working on games. I know I love this. So that, so check mark. Mm -hmm. um, and then it was, I love figuring out how to break the game and figuring out how to problem solve. And I was like, okay, I enjoyed that as well too. And then I saw my project manager and my QA lead doing some more managerial things. I was like, okay, I like a little bit of what he's doing. I like a little bit of what he's doing. And so then I just asked my project manager at the time, I said, hey, I want to stay in games, but I'm not an engineer, an artist or designer. I kind of want to stay doing this, but I also like what you do, you're doing, but I'm not, 
sure what's in game development, what is there for me. And that's when he told, told me where he's like, oh, you can be a producer, work in production. I was like, yes, tell me more. Um, <laughs> and so ever since that, it just kind of stuck where it's like, yes, I love working with people, problem solving and communicating because I'm really, I'm really good at that. I, I was, I almost said, I don't want to toot my own horn, but I will. Cause I like trying to own that now. Like, yes, I'm good at it. <laughs> now there's nothing wrong with being aware that you're good at something, Correct. you know, and being proud of it. Um, so definitely, definitely cool to hear that. Um, for people who are not as familiar um, when we're let's, let's pivot from the indie side to more of a established kind of company. What does a producer do in a role there? you know, when there are more processes that are already in place? That's a really good question. So I, even when I was at Pokemon, I still had the same thing where I was the producer, but I was running the whole project together. Like mm -hmm. it was just me um, before my senior producer joined us. Um, and going to Microsoft, working on Minecraft, it was very different. I had to kind of pivot because for so long I have been used to being the person in charge of all the things. And I had, I was in charge of the entire project from end to end and making sure everyone's doing their part and working with uh, third party developers and on the publishing side and everything. And when I went to Minecraft, it was, you are in charge of this. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I don't, I don't understand. What do you mean? I'm just in charge of gameplay, which is a big thing, but yeah, I, I just couldn't grasp my head around that because it's like we had an art producer and we had a design producer and it's like, oh, I don't have to handle the art side of things and figure out when they're, so it was, so that was very hard for me. It's like trying, when I first started out, trying to stick in my own lane mm -hmm. of like, I don't have to do it on my own anymore. I have other people to help me uh, make the products successful. And, and yes, while I joined there, there was already a process in place. However, what's really nice is that I'm, even though there was a process in place, I was able to work very closely with my manager in order to make any changes to the process. And so it wasn't like fist down, you have to do it this way or, or else. It was very, this is, this is our framework. And I kind of made it my own a little bit, especially with like, with my gameplay team where I made sure that certain things work with them in a certain way. Cause then unfortunately in production, there's no one size fits all in terms mm -hmm. of process. You have to kind of, you have a framework and foundation to work off of, but then it's really fine tuning it with each team that, and team member that you work with. So yeah. it was, I've had a positive experience. Yeah, I That's think it's awesome. a thing that uh, producers, the thing they don't teach you, but the thing you have to learn, it's not so much about, giving people work as much as it is learning how to work with people. And that's a thing that I think a lot of people, you don't get that. You don't understand that until you've done it successfully a few times. So, Yeah, I, I think that's super important call out that you made as well. And that took me um, a while to understand because early on in my career, I was like, yes, I am a producer. I am in charge of this. And as you get more established in your in the industry and you have more experience doing this, you realize, oh, no, I am supposed to help the team. I'm not in charge of them. And so that's something I advice that I give to a lot of producers starting out in the industry where it's like, you have to remember as a producer, you are not their manager, you are their peer. And so you work alongside them to help them get the job done, mm -hmm. but you don't, they don't report to you. And so it's a little bit of leading without authority as well too. Yep. 
And that's where the communication comes in place. So it's like you, they have to be able to trust you and also like you to work with you. <laughs> yeah. All the younger people, when they get that producer role in their first game, that's the thing. And they're just like, everybody do what I say. And it's like, you got to right. learn to work with people. So. Yeah. I think that's one of the the best things you can learn when it comes to any kind of managerial role or Correct. any kind of honestly group project or job is learn yeah. how to communicate with people, understand how different people work, understand how to uh, make sure that everything's articulated clearly and there aren't miscommunications and keep everyone on the same page. Cause that's honestly essential. It doesn't matter what job you end up in. You're going to need that skill in life. And it's, it's very important to learn. I also like yeah. hearing this thing that you have where you, you said you like to like find processes and break them for the game. And it sounds like that has turned into the producer side too, where you come in and go, all right, company, let's see what this is. Can I break that to make it look a little more effective? I think it's a, it's a fun thing. That it seems like that you have. So, yeah, I, I really love problem solving. I, and I yeah. think that's another reason why I've been in production for as long as I have is because I love solving for complex problems where it's like, we really want to do this. And, we want to make it happen. Help us go figure out how to do it. I'm like, okay, I'm on the case. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, no, I've, 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 I really enjoyed it. And also, going back to your point, it's every discipline also within the team works very differently. Mm-hmm. Where when you're talk, working with engineers versus designers and like the artists, because you have like creative and technical side to it. Where it's like, in my experience, you know, when you're working with creative, they have what large ideas and that's where the trust comes really into place as well because when you if you have a good relationship with them especially with design for example let's say they have this great great idea of what we want to do and then you go back to them like actually we can't do that because of time you know because you're always there's always constraints when making a any kind of game or feature request and having a good relationship with them it's like no i I understand you. I know what you're trying to do, but let me help you. Let's figure out this way. Maybe we can reduce the scope a little bit. Mm-hmm. And so it's trying to figure out how to also have a process with your creatives, but also making sure that they have enough creative space, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. I say the, the best kind of producers are the ones you enjoy getting bad news from. Like yeah. those are always the ones you are like, okay, I can, I can take the bad news from this person. But <laughs> other producers, you're like, oh man, what are they going to say? What are they going to say? I know. <laughs> Well, I think even just on an earlier episode, we talked to Chance Glasgow and he was talking about how Infinity Ward got started. And I, I think a lot of it came down to was they really liked their producer and the the head of the company kicked them out. And they're like, well, we're going to follow uh-huh. that producer because he does a good job, <laughs> you know? And it's just like when you have someone really good that you know how to work with, it can be pretty great, you know? And that's how you end up with... Uh, great products you know you need a team that's all on the same page and willing to do stuff i know even just on my end i I get to see a little window into some games where it's like well we want to do this cool thing can we and i'm just like yeah maybe you know like (laughs) and i have like i get to see kind of the processes like you're talking about of well they still got to get the artist behind it once they get it cleared through me you know and that can be very difficult when you're dealing with everyone's got different timelines and budgets and especially as the larger a company you get when you no longer have that holistic control, you know, to just be like, okay, I can kind of quarterback this entire project. Yeah. You really have to learn how to work with people because as you get into larger corporations as well, you have not only your team that you have to communicate with and make sure everyone agrees, but you also have executive 
mm -hmm. stakeholders and like larger up higher up and so everyone has to be aligned on the goals and try but you also as a producer want to make sure that everyone's voice is heard and that's super important because you don't want to be dismissive to anyone and also you have to figure out um who has a say in what so and that's what kind of talking to a little bit like stakeholder management and it's um where it's like oh let's say design or engineering says i would think the art should look this way and it's like cool i value your opinion however the art director is going to have the final say on this you know do you have a because some you know as you when you do things long enough you kind of get a subconscious way of discovering but do you have a process of like okay i'm doing these things i'm noticing that x y or z isn't working so that's where i know i need to fix it is it like you know communication or miscommunication or there's a lack of efficiency like what are the things you attune to to know that there needs to be a fix in a process oh yeah there it's definitely as the longer you're in the industry and doing this, the easier it is to find where the breakdown is. Um, usually it boils down to communication and, um, you know, something on my team that we've, we've had in the past where things, it was, it all boiled down to communication because there was no um, feedback loop. And so I can immediately know, oh, this person didn't know that this is happening. So obviously they don't have enough information for here. So therefore I have to do a better job in this area. And so, it's a lot of that and I gen generally I know what's wrong um, and but other times I just talk to the team and I just ask them like hey I noticed that this is happening how can we improve it so that's another important thing is to make sure that you're when you're making improvements and figuring out how to problem solve you're including your team members as well because you don't want to be top down with them. Do you think that becomes an issue, though, where it seems like a lot of teams don't follow that? As much as we talk about it, as much as everybody's like, that's the way to go, it still seems like there's a mentality of, like, you got to keep things buttoned up and need to know. Do, why do you think that still exists in a lot of, like, structures for things like this? Like on a need-to-know basis? Well, yeah, like, or, you know, you'll tell the design guys what they need to know. You'll tell the tech what they need to know. And sometimes there's no real communication just because people think as long as the producer knows, everything's fine. I, I wish I had a good answer for I, that. I really do too. I know it just happens and you're like, why does this happen? <laughs> yeah, it just happens. It's it that's why it's a lot of cat herding as a producer. Um because it's it's one of those things where I don't know, I think everyone is just in their own little bubbles and trying to figure out what they're responsible for. So for engineers, they're responsible for delivering the code. So they're like, okay, mm -hmm. I know what to do, I'm gonna go do this and not really maybe in order to concentrate on their job, they don't, they're not thinking about design. So I think that's the reason why um, everyone kind of goes into their own little areas to focus on what they do and what their job is. And, but that's why producers are needed in game development because mm -hmm. they are the glue that bring, make sure all those disciplines are together and talking to each other. And we're all moving in the same direction. So for someone who happens to be watching this and you're kind of resonating with them, what's your day-to-day -day look like? Like, what do you actually do on a daily basis? <laughs> It's a lot of talking. <laughs> um, my day-to-day, -day, not to be so meta, but it, it changes from day-to-day. -day. Um, so a lot of my day-to-day -day is um, talking to all the whole development team, making sure that everyone's talking to each other at the same time um, about the right implementation of features, uh, looking at the tasks and bug burn down to make sure everyone's on track for our next release. Um, 
talking with stakeholders on upcoming feature requests or any a new roadmap that's coming up. Um, especially right now, it's a lot of meetings because we're all working remote. And so we don't have that benefit of hallway casual conversations or something in the lunchroom that you just happen to be in the same spot at the same time. Um, yeah, it's it's triaging bugs, figuring out what's going into release, what's going into a future release or backlog, looking at user stories, attach tracking, burn down, uh, removing roadblocks for the developers. So it's a lot of risk analysis as well and making sure that everyone has what they need to get their job done efficiently. Because as I mentioned before, we're, we're their peers. We're supposed to help them get the job done. It's a lot of... Uh, kind of a cheerleader aspect mm -hmm. to it because it's a lot of motivation, especially right now. It's very difficult on everyone given all the things, gestures at world. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's, we have to keep motivation up and, you know, as producers, we have to also find the pulse of the team at all times because we're working closely with them. At least I'm very in tune with my team when I know something isn't going right or someone mm -hmm. needs, more assistance and it's not even just work-wise, but it's also maybe they just need a mental health break or anything like that. And that's super important. So keeping a pulse on a team is very, very on my to-do list every single day. Um, and motivating also with features sometimes, because as I mentioned before, we have time constraints and sometimes even when things are bleak, I still have to keep the team motivated somehow where it's like, yep, this is really hard. Yep, I know. Let's just get this done and rah rah rah. Um, you know, I and luckily I have other people in my production circle that help me when I need that motivation. So it's like it it goes around, and so it's really nice because it's like I'm giving it all out, but someone has to help me as well too. And so we're all in it together. So it's really fun. I think that's definitely a conversation I've had a lot offline with people right now. Is just just kind of the the real reality of the fact that this is an unprecedented year, you know, like we're not living day to day life like we normally would, you know, like I haven't been to my office really since March, you know, and yeah. that's just a, a super different kind of environment, especially when you're a game studio that's used to being in person, used to having that level of spontaneity of just like, you know, being able to bounce ideas off the person next to you. And it, it's definitely difficult when it feels like you're not being able to recharge at the same rate you normally would, you know? Um, and that's, uh, I think that motivation thing right now, especially is just, it's really real. And it's something that people need to be aware of and plan for with their team. Yeah. And that's something we definitely keep an account on with our team right now is because we've also been working from home since March and I have definitely for myself have added more padding into our, uh, roadmaps, uh, just because there is that uncertainty of like, this is taking a mental toll on everyone. It's exhausting. It's, it's not work as usual right now. Um, and so you have to allow for some wiggle room of like, yeah, things are going to happen. We may not hit this on time because people need, these are real people. They have, they're humans. They're not just cogs. So we have to like, make sure to keep that in mind when we're game developing right now, especially. Uh, this might be a weird question, but I'm going to see if the I'm always trying to find like the golden light in the situation. But obviously, these are bad, unprecedented times. But have you 
in your adjusting for obviously remote working, have you found anything that has turned out to be beneficial to working remotely or is it just hard times and we're banding together and trying to get through it? Hmm. That's well, I guess the golden line has been that yes, we can develop games remotely. So that's been been the big thing for this year was like, yes, we can actually do it. Um, And realizing, oh, maybe I don't need those other meetings that I always have. Maybe those actually weren't as important as I thought. So it's just a little bit of that that's more realization this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, it's been mostly like just trying to band together and get through it. I think that that number one thing you said, though, what I've learned and people I talk to is that the meetings in the early um, of this year were so many meetings and now everybody's learning. Let's cut that back and let's cut that back. And only if when we were all seeing each other all the time, we thought the same thing, you know, so. Yeah, I think at least from my perspective, I think we're going to end up in a lot of times more of like a hybrid structure. Yeah. down the road i don't think we're ever going to go full work for home for every company because it may fit for some but maybe not every right. person uh but having the ability to occasionally work for home is huge like sure. i know that's one of the main reasons i love being able to work for myself is the fact that i have that flexibility of time so if i need to like take the dog to the vet i can do it without having to stress of did i just take like my only day off you know to do that you know mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's just a, it's a huge benefit, you know, knowing that as long as the work gets done when it needs to get done and you have a little bit more flexibility, it can be pretty nice. Yeah. I think a lot of companies are going to be shifting to that uh, more flex work as well. Mm-hmm. And that's something I've definitely noticed for myself is that it's been nice, especially because I have a retriever. He puts things in his mouth randomly. And so sometimes I have to like take him to the vet or figure mm-hmm. out like, okay, bud, just get it out of your system. And that's been really nice working from home where it's like, usually I would have had to take in time off away from the office and then it's more stressful. Um, but obviously this was like super hard for me in the beginning. I'm just going to be very blunt. Like mm-hmm. I'm an extroverted person. I need to be around people. And this is how I get my energy from uh, is from others. And so the beginning of like self-isolation, like quarantine was very very difficult and then you add all the other stuff in the world on Mm -hmm. top of that it was just like i just became kind of paralyzed for a moment and so i really leaned on my team to help boost me up and they were all really great (laughs) no and i i can definitely see that because my fiance is the same way where she's very much someone who gets her energy from being around people from being around her family whereas for me i get my energy drained that way and i get my energy (laughs) back by being back in a room and just kind of watching tv reading a book playing a game you know like that to me is how i recharge but i mean it's difficult even for from that perspective you know of knowing i'm more introverted it's not necessarily been an easy year in general you know yeah i definitely heard from my introverted friends are like i'm introverted but somehow i'm really need to see people right now (laughs) like (laughs) No, there's, there's eventually a point where it almost like you flip a little bit and you're like, yeah. okay, I guess I'm extroverted for a little bit now where I need something, you know, because I, I definitely know for me, that's one of the things I've missed probably more than anything is just being able to have those kind of like brainstorming kind of meetings, you know, over dinner or drinks or something else where you can just hang out with people that you like being around, you know, peers, mentors, coworkers, whatever else clients, just people that you can just engage with and chat with. And that's been definitely a little more difficult, but obviously 
we found ways, you know, to have tools like this where we can have these kind of conversations, you know, and I, I, I think these have been great, you know. Mm-hmm. I miss hugs. That's what I miss. I am a hugger. I miss hugs so much. <laughs> no, for sure. Uh, do you? Uh, I have a question. Do you have um? Go back to the, the producing thing for one sec. Do you um? Do you have any like resources that you turn to? Um, like, are you a reader? Do you watch? It? Is there anything that? Are you organically like I? I'm. You said you're a people person. You've learned all this by being with people. Or do you have like things that you go to, uh, to kind of sharpen your skills? <laughs> uh, this is gonna sound awful, but it's I. This is every. There is like no tool in my experience that I've learned of how to be a producer, and so there is. There's nothing I really go to specifically, mm-hmm. but what I have done to refine my skills is there's always GDC talks, and mm-hmm. so I would I look to see what other producers are doing, and I review those videos and conferences, and then I also check out gaming websites as well to you know um to see what everyone else is talking because you can submit your own articles so it's mostly that and then i've also done some scrum certification just because i wanted to learn more about that and then i've read some scrum and agile books and then also there's this book that's so old but it was recommended to me a long time ago and it's not it's not bad it, it was about software development um I think it was published by someone who worked at Microsoft as well. Um, and then I also read other books as uh, how to manage people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are some books that I do read in order to like learn more, like to get a, how to interact with people. And maybe there's a new trend that I didn't think about. And then it's mostly just talking to my network. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I do have a hard time or I have a question, I having um, mentors is super important whether it's internally or externally, because I have my boss from Pokemon that I still talk to to this day. And if I'm ever stuck on something or I'm questioning anything, I go to him because he has decades of experience than me. And so I will go to him like, hey, I have a problem. How should I do it? Am I going in the right way? And so it's a it's having that network and mentors is really important as well, too, because this allows you to bounce ideas off of each other. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest pieces of advice I could give anyone who wants to work in any industry is to just reach out and talk to people like that. Um, Because I know, like, even for myself, I got lucky um, one time when I was up for the MVP program uh, through Xbox, I got to sit and just talk to the head of legal just because I happened to have a conversation with someone else who's like, let me make an introduction, you know, and then you get to kind of pick someone's brain like that for 30 minutes who's been doing this forever at a massive company. And then you can really kind of learn, okay, this is what I should be looking into. This is what I should be trying to learn right now. This is what's going to benefit me down the road, trying to go this path. And then, I mean, since then, obviously I have people that I talk to on a more regular cadence, you know, that again, have more decades of experience that you can kind of fall back on and learn from, you know, and that's definitely huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing I was gonna say, the thing I liked about your story was that when you got to a point when you wanted to move to the next level, you kind of asked, like, I can do this and I can do this. How do I get to the next level? And I feel like a lot of young people um, of all degrees are kind of afraid of speaking up and just being like, hey, how do I get to that next position? Can you kind of inform me? Um, and I like that uh, it works to be like, just kind of tell me what, how do I get to that spot? You know, a lot of people need to learn, they just got to speak up and kind of ask the questions to get there and not just stay in one lane if you want to grow. 
Yeah, and that's very, and yes, I, I do agree yeah. with you, And it, but it, it's very hard also when you're starting out to be that person. Mm -hmm. um, so I really also encourage for others in the industry that have been in it, especially for women and women of color, we need to have advocates for us. Mm -hmm. So it's, that's also something very important where it's, it's not us doing all the work for ourselves because more often than not, we are very silent and we don't want to stir the pot or bring up any questions or because we may be seeing X or Y, you know? Yeah. So I think having someone advocate for you is very important as well. Yeah. Uh, there's a question, if you'd want mind answering it. Um, oh, can you can you see it? Yes, I can. Yeah, yeah no, I was, I was gonna repeat it just because yeah. honestly, I think it's a really good question from the you LinkedIn do. chat from Juan. And it's just talking about the fact that, you know, some people work better early morning, some people work better late night. How do you maintain balancing those two schedules? Because in a lot of ways, it can almost end up being like you're on different time zones when you have people working at that kind of disparate hours. Do you guys have um, kind of, you know, set hours you want people to work or do you give them that kind of flexibility right now? Um, so we thank you for your question, Juan. Um, so this is not something I currently face with my team. Uh, so I'm going to kind of... <laughs> a broad answer yeah. uh, so we do have course at core hours on our team but with the caveat that sometimes people do need to adjust their schedule especially right now um it's because we have parents who are dealing with children and you know working from home and they have other things going on so it's not like a typical work day at the office um something that i do with that is just it, it goes back to the communication and talking to your team members and figuring out what works best with their schedule. Because I actually have a count, because there have been times where my team members have had to take time off for a mental health break or where they were gone for a week or sometimes days. And in order, I actually accounted for that in my schedule when I was building feature roadmap with them. And I made sure, okay, well, this person's gonna be unavailable for this amount of time. So I'm going to give X amount of time. Another thing is I've done is reduce capacity when I'm giving out bugs or handing out tasks, knowing that not everyone is at their usual capacity anymore. Mm -hmm. um, so that's something that is super helpful as well. And if you wanted to try that, it's like just making sure you're talking to everyone, figuring out what their work life balance is and what they need in order for, for them to remain healthy. And then also including that in your roadmap planning and making sure that you're reducing their capacity of what they can actually do per sprint. Yep. No, that's awesome. And I want to touch back a little bit on something you were talking about before that question. Um, what can uh, people like myself or Justin do to be better advocates for, you know, people of color or women in some of those roles? Because I mean, I'm not going to be oblivious to the fact that again, like we're two white dudes who are hosting a podcast, you know, that seems like a stereotype at this point, you know, yeah. just in the sense of like, I, I, that's a joke I've heard before of like, what do you call two dudes in their thirties? You know, it's a podcast, you know, it's like a gag. Dude kind <laughs> I've of thing. never heard that before. That's pretty funny. It's okay. not wrong. <laughs> Where's the lie? Yeah. Um, <laughs> how to be a better advocate. Um, that's a really hard one because it's, I don't know if there's a simple formula of how to, it's just mostly listening to people. For example, like you, you two doing this is great. Like 
you're making sure that people like me are being seen and, mm-hmm. you know, help elevate their voices. Um, and also another thing is to believe our experiences. Mm-hmm. That's something that I've struggled with in the past where if, especially like, we'll say, oh, this is happening and we can't prove it. And so sometimes our our experiences mm-hmm. are real. They're just microaggressions. And so that's very difficult as well too. So I, I wish more people would believe, I guess, where it's like, I don't, something is happening here. I don't, I can't quite put my finger on it, but it's wrong and something needs to be done about it. So I've been, I've been, I have a great support system at work where mm-hmm. I can talk about this, this kind of things very freely now, which is very refreshing. Um, making sure that you're checking in on them and making sure that you're thinking of them in the back of your head when there's opportunities out there because they may they may not know that these opportunities exist. And another thing, a big thing is that I think a way to get better with hi- hiring more diversity and being advocates is figuring out the language in job postings mm-hmm. because they're statistically speaking, I don't know the exact statistics, but I know that women and then women of color, there's a higher rate of them not applying for jobs because more often than not, they make sure that they hit all the qualifications while a white man may just be like, oh, I have 30% of it. I'm going to apply. And so that's what usually ends up. And there's my dog in the background. He says hello. Um, (laughs) Yeah, there's He's another like, preach, uh, preach Xbox it. MVP. <laughs> um, her name's Kelly, and she says the same thing because she always says the best thing you can do is just kind of have the belief in yourself that a white guy does. You know, like that's self belief. Yeah. Because, like, I got really excited when you said, "I am a good producer." Because I'm like, "Yes, you are. You should you should feel proud of that." But you know, also like you're saying, when it comes to job applications. Uh, one thing people could really do is kind of sit back and say, do we really need a master's degree for this? Do we really need 10 years of experience for this? Or is that just kind of a a way of ours that, you know, filters out certain things, you know, and making sure that the language in there, you know, isn't going to cause, you know, groups that are a little more marginalized to not feel comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Cause starting out in production, trying to get an associate producer role was very difficult for me because the amount of experience they were requiring for just an AP role was kind of mind boggling to me. And then also it became this thing where it's like, well, I don't hit all those check marks, so I'm not going to apply. Mm-hmm. But really like looking back on it, I could have applied for it. And I probably, you know, it's just this self doubt that we put on ourselves. Like, well, if I don't hit all the, the check marks then. I don't qualify for it and therefore I shouldn't apply because we're going to find out anyways that I don't qualify for it. So it's just a whole imposter syndrome as well too embedded in there. And I'd like to see a little more of opening it up for, you know, obviously for esports and all that kind of stuff too, is opening up to take more, um, you know, women, you know, people of color seriously in, in looking for it. A lot of people intend up like, you know, when they're looking for content creators, you get a list and they're usually all the same. And it's like, if you're getting that list and they're all the same kind of person, you should probably go, Hey, Let's maybe look for something else. Let's broaden our, our search a little bit because, you know, I, I think that's an issue that we have. We kind of just all look for the same things and there needs to be more of a broad search and taking more people seriously. 
Well, and I, I think that's a perfect example of a problem. If you just take the top 20 content creators, mm-hmm. well, then you're not getting necessarily the most diverse group all the Correct. time, you know, and um, we talked about that actually yesterday at an event I was at. It was the USF esports event um, and Big Cheese brought it up. I'll throw a link in here for anyone who wants to go back and look at some of that stuff. But it was a really good discussion with him um, about what it's like being a content creator of color and all the different opportunities that sometimes it feels like don't go your way, you know, and it's definitely very difficult to kind of be that kind of situation. Yeah. I, I think changing the language on job applications and paving the way and removing barriers will help for my, a more diverse portfolio in the gaming industry because we exist, they're out there Mm -hmm. and, for example, this past weekend, I spent three days uh, moderating for with the Latinx and gaming group, helping them out with a three-day event called Unidos Online. And I was blown away by all the game submissions that people entered. And it's like, why don't we have more of this kind of representation in our industry? Mm-hmm. And it's just because they're not given the chance to get into the industry. And so we have to figure out how to make that more accessible for people. And, you know, for example, you have GDC where it's, they charge so much money. And once again, you're kind of putting a barrier up between the marginalized groups because they can't afford that. And so we just, as an industry, we just have to do better. Well, and that's something that even just last week, Green Skull and I talked about a little bit, like the two of us were lucky to be in a position where we were able to fly out to events, you know, over on the West Coast or something. And I don't take that lightly. I'm aware of the fact that I was in a fairly lucky position to be able to be like, all right, I'm going to spend $1,000 to go to GDC, you know, and I'm going to meet people and learn about the industry and be able to be in a position now where I have experience in the industry, you know, but that's not always the case for everyone, you know, and sometimes that cost is one of those huge barriers. And that is one of the nice things about the fact that we are moving toward some virtual environments is... You know, it doesn't matter if it's cost or if it's other issues, um, you might feel a little more comfortable, you know, even within the video game industry, just not drinking can sometimes feel like something that isolates you, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I've talked to people who felt that way before, you know, and then um, especially for other people, um, maybe they're on the spectrum or something, being in a large group can be just very difficult, you know, and there's, there's a lot of different groups that because of whatever reason, feel like they get a little more isolated, you know, and it's like, what can we do to kind of, you know, reach them where they are, you know? Yeah, I I think that is definitely one of the silver linings as well with the with the pandemic is that we're all figuring out how to work remotely and do things digitally. And after this is all over, I hope that's something that we still keep around because we've been opening up events online. This has made it more accessible to people now. And I wish moving forward, we continue to do this as well. Mm-hmm. And for people who want to get again into game design, but don't have the money to go to GDC, are there local resources they should look into depending on where they're at? Um, uh, yeah. Anything by you? Because I know down here, at least we have... Uh, Full Sail and UCF, which are in FIA, which are great game design programs. And I know they offer at least, you know, some programs, even at the library um, that are 
low to free cost, depending on the situation that you can learn some of the basics? So I don't know offhand what resources if someone wants to get into like game design, for example. Um, I know we have a, a school here that's if they want to go to school, there's DigiPen. There's also another good tool that's used here in Seattle is uh, I think it's called Meetup mm-hmm. or something like that. And they have when we did have in-person events, yeah, there was yeah. constantly uh, a meetup event for like, hey, game game dev folks, let's go talk here. And there was there was also an industry night at Wild Rover every every month as well too mm-hmm. in Kirkland, which is just on the street for me. And mm-hmm. so I I don't know as of right now where those things are at given our yeah. current timeline. <laughs> um, but I know those those do those did exist where we had game industry meetups, for example, mm-hmm. at PopCap they would host them, and then Wild Rover they would host game industry nights, and those, so there were constantly events where people can go look up. So I would I would look at meetup.com. Mm-hmm. And I know this is like very retrospective, so it's almost an unfair question to ask. But looking back, uh, would you have rather gone to a bigger company first or gone to a smaller company first? Do you think that you were more prepared to work at the bigger job because you wore all the different hats at the smaller job? Or do you feel like you would have been more successful at the the indie studio having all the processes and teachings that you learned at, you know, a, a bigger company? That's a really good question. Um, so I think it's a two-part answer. Mm-hmm. Um, I think because I worked at an indie studio first, I was able to really learn on my own of what, of how to be a producer and what processes work. So I, it was a lot of iteration where it's like, I had a, at working at an indie studio, I had a lot of failures, but I also had a lot of successes. And I think that really helped prep me for my future roles and working at large corporations um, because I'm able to bring that skill set in. On the flip side, have I started at a corporation and an indie studio? I feel like I would be further along mm-hmm. in my in my career development. Um, I maybe I would have a a different title or something like that, or who knows where I'd be right now. But maybe because they would have given me because with Microsoft, especially, we have resources that help us learn, mm-hmm. and where you I, you don't typically get that at an indie studio, and so I maybe I would have been more advanced because it's like I have all this this learning live, you know, tools that they give to me and everything. So that's, that's, awesome. that's kind of my two part answer. <laughs> no, I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Um, would you, are you that you mentioned that I don't think I like esports. I was like, are you you mentioned having the all uh, women team? You would do you ever do something like that again? Like putting something like that together? Oh, man, I Honestly, I don't, I don't think I would. Um, <laughs> that's and not because it's awful. It's just, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't, it's not something that I could do on the side mm-hmm. on top of my real job. I would have to put my whole effort to it. And it, so it's one of those things like I did, it was really cool. I got to learn a lot of things. Um, but I, I'm good. good? <laughs> yeah. The experience. <laughs> yeah. I'm good. That's awesome. Totally understandable. But no, I do do get involved with other things on the mm-hmm. side, so that's good. Where it's like more outreach programs and mm-hmm. helping out with 
the Latinx community, making sure that they're uh, getting exposure and helping empower them as well too. And where I'm just, I'm just trying to teach people about what I do and help them network as much as possible and get them in the door because I want to make sure that those barriers that are there, I'm helping them path the way for them, essentially. That's awesome. No, I think that's always been something that's been important to me is to like pull people up versus like wall them off, you know? Yep. It's one of those things where like if you get lucky and you're able to get past something, help other people get past it too. Yep. Don't just like build a barrier to be like, look, I built, you know, I'm further ahead now or something. I always, yeah. I hate that kind of mentality of like, you know, the only reason you you do something like that is just to build that separation or whatnot, you know? Yeah, yeah there was this old meme or from a long time ago and it kind of stuck with me or a saying where it's like the only time you should be looking down on someone is when you're giving them a hand to lift them back up. And that's yeah. kind of like has just stuck with me. That's great. Yeah. No, I think that's great. And I think that's a great spot to kind of end things. Um, <laughs> just wrapping up. Uh, is there anything you want anyone to know uh, or places where they can reach you if they want to ask more questions, especially if it is um, someone who would like to just learn more about what you do? Yeah, for sure. So I am totally open. Anyone can come and ask me questions. I'm very I love to help people. Um, so you can find me on Twitter at Miss, M, that's M-S, Yesenia C, Y-E-S-E-N-A, as you could, there, there's my name, Yesenia, and then C. Um, and I'll then add this into the show notes for people so they don't have yeah. to figure out how to spell. <laughs> yeah, and then there's also, I also have a website, which is YeseniaC.com. <laughs> um, so you can reach me there and also, if anyone, if I have anyone interested, and we have the Latinx and gaming Discord channel, so you can totally check that out as well too. You can find um, hit them up at Latinx and gaming on Twitter, and it's a great community. And I, I'm the reason why I'm like preaching this because because I found like my people, and it's, I'm very excited about it. That's, awesome. that's fantastic. because <laughs> yeah. I know that's that's just huge, you know. And that that's one of the reasons I'm really proud that we were able to get you on here today because you had a lot of great info. Yeah. But it's also, like you said, it's one of those things where you want people to know that there are people in these positions, you know, that are representative of them too, you know, just to help encourage and kind of let them know that they should look into this industry. Yep. Thanks so much for having me. This yeah, is fun. No, you. This <laughs> great. is great. Yeah. Um, and uh, we'll have another episode next week. Uh, we're going to be talking to Alex Esten about the black brick and what it's like Ooh. building a board game all right uh thank you everyone and later see you guys bye